Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. On today's show, we welcome back Charles Lavoie, VP of Marketing and Head of Creative Labs at WPIC Marketing and Technologies. He's a longtime guest of the pod and we welcome him back to the show once again. In our conversation today, we explore the transformation that China's e-commerce scene has witnessed due to the rise of Douyin, which has provided global brands with a new platform to connect with Chinese consumers. We examine how Douyin fostered consumer trust by initially incentivizing local brands to lower their prices, gradually cultivating a habit of buying through the app. As trust in the platform increased, larger international brands joined the mix. Today, Douyin hosts not just discounted items, but serves as a launchpad for innovative brand initiatives and drives substantial revenue. Charles dives deep into how brand strategy on Douyin differs from Tmall and the comparative advantage of each platform. Our discussion also touches on Xiaohongshu, Little Red Book, and Pinduoduo, and how these platforms are reshaping brand strategy. Finally, Charles also gives his thoughts on why a comparable video-driven social commerce platform has not emerged in the West. Enjoy this insightful conversation on some of the most significant trends in China's retail marketing landscape. They're really, really good at figuring out quickly from the moment a person gets in the app, what mood are they in? Are they in the mood to be entertained? Are they in the mood to shop? Are they nostalgic? Are they looking at educating themselves? And within a fraction of seconds, because of the algorithm, they can push content very quickly that are tailored to the immediate mood. And, and layering that factor of intent to shop, they've been figuring out slowly, how can we figure out a way to get people not only to engage, discover brands, but also transact doesn't necessarily mean that because you have the attention you're gonna have their trust to be able to shop you need a reason why home to over 4 billion people the asia pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users it's a market that no globally minded organization should ignore but entering markets like china japan or southeast asia is no easy task just ask the likes of microsoft google uber and facebook However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Charles, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Pleasure to be back here, Todd. Good to see you again. Now, you WPIC folks, you are all over the map all the time, always on the move, always figuring things out. Where in the world are you today that we're recording you from? Yeah, I'm back in the beautiful and cold, now cold Quebec City. Uh, I did a lot of traveling. I was actually in Vancouver for two months and uh, November, December, I was in China for about a month and so on. So just been back here uh, through Christmas and a little bit of the holidays. So it's good to be here. Quebec City, one of the most beautiful cities in the world for those who haven't been. You're on one side of the country. I'm on the other side of the country. What is your weather situation like today? Yeah, winter winter has been really mild, but it's catching up. So now it's dropped into the minus 15, which is still okay for Quebec, but uh We've had good snow recently, so ski season is just starting. Uh, it's been delaying and delaying years after years, but uh, now we're fully into winter. So you're pretty similar. You know, I mean, I've been tracking it a little bit. You see Buffalo, if you saw anybody saw like one of the playoff games at Buffalo recently on the NFL, snow everywhere. They were shoveling out the entire stadium so they get the game. Delays travel for everybody throughout the U.S. and different places. Out here in the Western Canada, we have been the same. We've been very dry. Ski season was really, really delayed. Uh, unfortunately, through the holidays as well, we were playing actual road hockey instead of getting out on the ice and playing some pond hockey, uh, which was unusual for this time of the year. And then recently, I think as a lot of areas of North America felt, we've had this big cold snap coming through. And today we are, I think, getting it. it is snowing like you wouldn't believe outside. So you shovel, you come back inside for a cup of hot chocolate, and then you go back out and shovel again. So that's what it's like over here. A quick overview for those. And, and you know, remember everybody, Charles has been on the show before. We had him on, what was it, maybe a year ago to discuss a lot of what Creative Labs was doing. Remind everybody about the work that you're doing at WPIC. 
Yeah, uh, so I run the Creative Labs uh, art division. I mean, it's good because I think it's the third time and we've been checking point like every year and it's been a little bit of constant and a little bit of innovation every year. Uh, ultimately, you know, we find creative ways to connect mostly global brands with APAC consumers and businesses. Uh, a lot of the work we do is in China, but as of, you know, a couple of years ago, we started expanding. Now we have, we do some cool creative works in Japan, South Korea, and a little bit in Southeast Asia. Um, you know, we do a lot on where consumers and businesses are nowadays, which is a lot on social. So a lot of our work is, you know, media planning, campaign planning around social, digital, a lot of content creation, live streaming is hot these days. So we do a lot of that as well. And uh, 2023, we, you know, started doing a couple of new things as well. We do a lot more into uh, what we call product and packaging innovation. So helping brands kind of really localize not just their communication, but as well as their, their offering for APAC market. And uh, yeah, we also started working, you know, not just on, you know, product, consumer good products, but we, we recently uh, started working on uh Really cool account, one that is exciting, the Tabasco brand. So they distribute, but they just want to get uh, the brand more well-known out there. Uh, tourism is coming back in China. So we started working with, you know, Macau Tourism Board, uh, uh, destination of uh, bungee jumpings in Asia to attract Chinese consumers and so on into new tourism destinations. So it's it's covered pretty broad, but ultimately the the common denominator is uh, attracting and engaging with APAC consumers. Interesting you mentioned Tabasco. It's the hot sauce, correct? Right. Getting the right yeah, Tabasco. The and that that is interesting. I think that's smart because my memories, and I love, I put hot sauce on everything. And it'll be Frank's, mm -hmm. it'll be Sriracha, it'll be whatever. When I asked for hot sauce in China, that's what I always got. I always got mm -hmm. Tabasco. That was the thing. Those other brands had not entered the market and yeah, that's a little nostalgia flashback right there. Yeah, that's right. All the restaurants I went to was always Tabasco. So yeah, good for them and good for you guys. Let's talk about Douyin. Let's talk about the platform, the familiar names of the platform, both parent company and actual app that they would use just to clarify that for the audience. And the fact is, it's become a popular place to buy products. It's running e-commerce. And when people realize and, and know what Douyin is, if you haven't already put it together, that's interesting. And you would then jump mentally to the fact that there's no comparable Douyin shopping in North America or for Westerners that we can really point to. So for Western consumers, there's nothing comparable that really is moving so much volume. So why has Douyin and what is Douyin doing? Why has it become so popular as a place to buy products? I think it's a really interesting question, right? We, we do see the volumes, transactions, and so on, but asking the why, how they got there, I think that, that really kind of uh, can help us understand what the future might look like, right? I mean, ultimately, uh, like the role of a platform, whether it's a social or e-commerce, is help brands find ways and help them to better reach their right audience, right? And I think Douyin and China, I was able to done that both on the social side first and not on the e-commerce through the use of, you know, uh, different advertising tools, different media platforms and so on. And they're really, really good at figuring out quickly from the moment the person gets in the app, what mood are they in? Like, are they, are they in the mood to be entertained? Are they in the mood to shop? Are they in the mood to buy? Are they in the mood, you know, uh, are they like nostalgic? Are they looking at uh, educating themselves and so on? And within a fraction of, second, uh, of seconds, because of the algorithm, they can push content very quickly that are tailored to the immediate mood and so on. I think that's that's been the power. And layering that factor of, as I said, are they in the intent to shop and so on? They've been figuring out slowly, hey, how can we figure out a way to get people not only to engage, discover brands, but also transact. And it doesn't necessarily mean that because you have the attention, because you have 700 million people spending two hours a day, that you're going to have their trust to be able to shop, right? You need a reason why. And ultimately, going back to three, four years ago, when Doyen did the really big push into e-commerce, 
the reason why, how they entered is they were able to find, you know, product factories, Chinese brands, and convince them to offer lower prices sometime on their platform by giving them, you know, media incentives, dollar incentives to get the to get the uh, wheel started. And then slowly consumers started to get used to purchasing on Douyin, some like lower ticket item, and then eventually developed the trust and the habit of buying, purchasing, right? And then Douyin was able to go after some of the bigger brands. They had some investments and so on and saying, hey, we'll help you. We have an active kind of consumer base. We have these e-commerce and by getting some of the bigger brands, uh, then the consumers, you know, were already spending time on Douyin, discovering these brands, and then it became more natural. And fast forward to where we are now, we have an ecosystem, and really, I think 2023 was a year of maturity of, you know, because Chinese brands and local brands have had so much su- success and the, the users are have just gotten, gotten used to purchase on Douyin as a platform, whether it's through live stream, through the store ecosystems, and so on. Uh, now this, you know, now it's become a place where not only the cheaper discounted items are, where brands are doing some new product launch, where, you know, brands are going after new audience to test and it's become very complementary in a way to Tmall as a marketplace. And now it's kind of competing, you know, on, on, uh, retaining consumer attention and so on. So I think there's a path now, looking to the second part of your question, why hasn't this happened in the West, right? I think, you know, I'm I'm not that bullish in TikTok shop in the short term. I think there's a lot of work from TikTok, even though they have the consumer engagement. You know, I talk to my nephew, nieces, and you know, a lot of people around me, they're discovering products on TikTok. But are you going to get be able to get people to convert there? I think, first of all, the e-commerce ecosystem in the West is a lot less mature, a lot less diverse than it is in China. Second of all, I think there's a lot more awareness from brand marketer and uh, about owning the consumer data. And that's where like a lot of the shift have been, you know, Shopify, or I, I want to own my, my consumer relationship, own my consumer data, loyalty programs, and so on rather than giving it to a marketplace, because marketplace tends not to be super transparent in sharing those data. So in, in China, you're jumping from a, one marketplace to another marketplace and so on. So it doesn't really matter. There's, you know, un, uh, unless you're really strong on WeChat, you're not going to really own the consumer data. And I don't think the marketers, so the alternatives are not really strong here. But for brands in the West to say, I'm going to stop putting a shop on my TikTok account to my Shopify and put it on TikTok shop, there's got to be a reason why. And that's not really obvious right now. So probably as you know, you've seen TikTok shops starting in the UK, US, they've pushed more lower ticket item direct from factory in China and so on. And that's how probably they're going to try to get a curve of adoption of people starting to shop. And then once they have some people that are starting to shop and so on, then they might be able to go after the brands and give them a reason why through media incentives or, or so on to be able to start shopping. But I would say that that curve of adoption, as I would predict, would probably be a lot slower in the West for some of the reasons that I mentioned. Given that there's always a chicken and egg problem when when platforms like this start out, then let's say it's whether it's a dating app or it's e-commerce, you need a certain amount of product to, to be able to attract a certain amount of consumers. But without attracting a certain amount of shoppers, you aren't going to attract enough people to put enough product. And it's kind of this back and forth. I'm thinking about Timu almost in, 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 in a way and in its, its entrance into, into the West as well. Is there a role in this, this drama or this story for the fact that there's not nearly as much potential products that are made, manufactured, and shipped from North America to North American shoppers. Do you think that at all plays a role in the fact that that is going to be really hard to get off the ground if a TikTok shop or even Snap or even Instagram or somebody else wanted to get into this? Ultimately, I mean, with new platforms and global platform and China platform, I think we are we are seeing more choice for consumers, consumers in North America. And I think that that creates an environment overall that uh, is better for the consumer uh, 
And it's going to be, you know, a lot of what you see on Amazon and so on are, are resellers that if you think about what is the real value that they're adding to the supply chain, it's not that high, right? So ultimately, I, I do think, I, you know, uh, through platforms like Temu and TikTok shops and so on that are matching the ecosystem of production of product and so on with the consumers, there's going to be um, a slightly... Uh, like you're going to cut the middleman in, in many ways. And then, you know, and Amazon, I mean, has been investing in, in a lot in China and trying to get closer to factories and so on and, and the rest of Asia. So I think that that idea of, you know, you know, obviously, if you're able to create a community, if you're able to add value as a brand and so on, then you have value. But if you're just kind of being a channel of communication or a reseller and so on. I think that worked really well through the early 2000s and that worked, you know, less well in the last decade and so on. And I think we're going to continue seeing an erosion of that. And I'm imagining that Amazon is trying to make further headway on building relationships with factories and producers in China, more for their Amazon basics line for the products that Amazon can own. Yeah, 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 that's true. And I think, you know, in, in the context of the current economy, it's it's obviously lo- people are, are, are looking for a deal. But at the same time, there's also, you know, there's also when you have an excellent product, it's easier to build a great brand around it than the other way around. Or at least I'm a, I'm a believer of that. And obviously, you know, and I think the concept of, of brand as just brand design and story and so on is getting less and less effective as we're seeing the concept of brand as community, as value added value to community or like really connecting to a value of a consumer. I think that's, that's still there and that's still important, but uh, you know, there's been, you see in the marketplace and so on, there's, there's been a rise of brands that ultimately you're going through and there's, there's not a, a ton of value and there's just kind of, like adding some some nice coloring or some nice packaging around kind of a product that it is. And I think that's going to be more difficult for, for brands like that in the future. Tell me, what product categories are doing especially well on Douyin? Where do, where, where do they find a lot of success, categories, demographics, what have you, and why? Yeah, it, it's been interesting to track and it's been expanding. Uh, obviously, it's still fast mover, fast moving consumer goods, so still very strong. And you know, I think it it caught to around thirty percent of market share in in areas like cosmetic and skincare. You know, starting from what was zero a couple of years ago, right? So really fast. Skincare, cosmetic. We do a lot in nutraceutical and health supplement, and Doyen has been really, really rising fast. Uh, food, you know, a, a lot of food inspiration happens on TikTok and Douyin and so on. And that's been a great place as well to convert on food products, pet food products and so on. Um, and But it's been expanding, you know, as the live streamer economy has been expanding on Douyin. I think there's some live streamer that are successful now. They focus on consumer electronics or they focus. So it's expanding and expanding. Uh, and you know, ultimately it's been a place where it was more a little bit of a spontaneous purchase. So lower ticket item, but it's not true anymore to say that it's only for discount items and so on. Like we have health supplement brands that are able to launch some of their premium products on Douyin Douyin and do really well. It's still harder to convert like the items as like $500 or like really high end fashion or consumer electronics. Like, you know, we work with Vitamix and so on. People still tend to have more confidence in Tmall return policy and logistics and so on. So that's still where uh, the uh, transaction will happen on Tmall. Let's take cosmetics, for example. When Douyin gains so much market share so quickly, what platform are they pissing off uh, when it comes to cosmetics? Who are they stealing that from? Uh, the yeah, Tmall. I'd say uh, they stole uh, quite a bit of market share from Tmall. So Tmall and cosmetic has been pretty flat, 2023 versus 2022, while Doyen has growth. Uh, and then Doyen has all also stolen a little bit of market share from Kwaisho, who had like an early start in the e-social commerce and so on. So Kwaisho has had like a 1% decrease in, in market share and kind of GMV trans- transaction last year versus the previous year. Yeah. Uh, so they're both kind of short video platforms. 
How is Kwaisho doing? I haven't heard or seen that much. So um, I'm not necessarily saying where there is smoke, there's fire, but it's it seems like it's been a little bit more quiet show lately. Yeah, it's 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 flattened and definitely like I think like they were stronger in like third and fourth tier city and uh, and I think competition between Ping Duodua and, and Doyen getting more traction there has been a little bit of a uh, tough year for for Kwaisho. All right. Well, and you mentioned PDD. That's a whole nother uh, discussion, which we had recently, if you go back and listen to the previous shows. But for you, Charles, can you explain the nuts and bolts? Because this is what you do. What are the nuts and bolts of how a brand sets up and operates their program on Douyin? Uh, for example, do brands have to set up a store comparably to a T-Mall store? Or is it all through influencers? Tell us how that's done. Yeah, so it's it's super interesting because obviously a lot of people think, you know, being the same app, TikTok and Doyen are like more or less the same. And there's a lot of similarities, but uh, ultimately, as a brand, you can set up a Doyen, what we call a Doyen official account or a Doyen social account, which will be very and somehow similar to the TikTok account that you have. So short video feeds, you know, you can see uh, recommendations of video, you'll scroll down and so on. And then you can... You sh- you can file a second registration to open a store. Uh, so these are two kind of separate entities. Once you have both of them, you can connect them in the back, back end and front end, and ultimately it all be connected and integrated. And the store looks similar to Tmall in a way. So it's very much of a store with products and uh, product detail page and so on. And you even have, you know, search keyword if you want to look for a specific product category and so on. And the third element, and as a consumer, so you might move away and the, the, you might be scrolling down your videos and then you can you know, click on the button and then arrive on the store and then scroll through the store. Now, there's a third element that people spend a lot of time to is, is a page that you can just do uh, see live streamings that are going on, right? So live streaming for, com- for, for a KOL live streamer. And then you'll have recommendation on who's the hottest live streamer right now in this category and so on. And you can start... Uh, looking at these live streamer and the live streamer will have their own store as well, which will be like that, which will be presenting the top selling products that that specific live streamer has sold. So as a brand, if you want to collaborate with a live streamer, they will first put a link to your store on their store, which will be connected. And then you can, they can have transaction and each transactions that the, the KOL influencer live streamer will do will have like a commission that was pre-negotiated. And ultimately that transaction really happens on your store. So you have the, the data then on your store and you can get people into your membership program to retarget them through, you know, a number of media tools or content tools that you have. So it's really a kind of complete 360 ecosystem that uh, that is uh, really interesting to test and learn, right? Because there's a lot of newness. There's been a lot of innovation. Talking about driving new users, at least throwing yourself in front of new users that will hopefully come to you. On Tmall, that's keyword bidding. How does that work on Douyin? Tmall has also not stayed like doing nothing. They've seen the rise of Douyin and stuff. So they're trying to launch some short videos. They're trying to reactivate like their live streaming and do different ways. But uh, yes, there's a lot of still uh, search keyword bidding. And that happens too on Douyin. Uh, So, but it's not a major part of where we get our conversion from. Um, So a lot of the intent, as I said, is, um, you know, people are, and I think a lot of success on Douyin, they've been able to uh, adapt to whatever the intent of the consumer at that time of the day is to be able to engage with the consumer in that way. So if the consumer is feeling more of an entertaining mood, you know, you might be able to still connect with them and engage with them and present your product through more of the a video type that is like entertaining creation and still make them fit, flip from a mood of, entertainment to a mood of shopping and consideration and then arrive on your store. Uh, so a lot of the people spend a lot of time, you know, on Douyin just watching live streaming and the live streaming that you have on Douyin, you know, there's live stream, like there's live streamers that are really just out there selling stuff, other that are out there entertaining. And ultimately, uh, 
Doyen has created a good ecosystem to be able to recommend the right live streamer to the people. And like, if you like that live streamer, you might like that other live streamer. If you like that product, you might like that other product and all kind of link that back to the store of the, uh, of Doyen that you have on uh, for the brand. That then leads into intent. Let's call it. You're on Tmall. You're on Tmall because you're going to shop. You're not necessarily on Doyen because you're going to shop. So there is intent to shop and likely intent on a category or on a product while you're on Tmall and why you went to Tmall or open Tmall versus why you're on Doyen. So there is a kind of a nurturing process that le- that that Doyen likely and, and brands on Doyen likely have to try to figure out. It's how do you take someone who is here for a different reason and convert them to spontaneously buy something when they weren't here to do that in the first place, most likely. So for brands, and, and you can t- and you can speak to that first, the spontaneity versus intent difference between Tmall and, and Doyen, for example. But if you're a brand, I think your marketing plan for Tmall could not and is unlikely to be the same as it would be for Doyen. So explain to me the difference and how that would work for brands to try to adjust, adopt, or recreate and, and, and build a new marketing plan for Doyen. Yeah, and, and I think that, that connects it a little bit to uh, one of the key challenges of marketing in China is understanding attribution, right? Because um, ultimately, when you're in closed ecosystem marketplace, and it's true, it's been historically like Tmall has been a place where people arrive often with, with an intent or they already know, they, they might not know the brand exactly what the product, but they know what they're looking for and so on. But as we know, in the consumer journey, there's there's a phase before, you know, the awareness of conservation and so on before you get there. And understanding what the consumer went through before arriving on Tmall, it's kind of a big black box, right? Let's say you're running some ads on Little Red Book or you're running some ads on Doyen and they arrive on Tmall. It's hard to know as a marketer to track the data and so on to really understand, okay, what worked, what convinced them, what had that percentage and so on. Um, so you're going to, you know, you're going to go a lot more on Tmall after like the low hanging fruits and just make sure, making sure you're compete on like the long tail keywords and so on. Some of that optimization, there's still a, a big role of Tmall, but the Doyen, what's interesting as a marketer now is we're able to be there on that platform from really just that initial step of the that consumer journey. And sometimes that might last, you know, a few hours, sometimes that might last like weeks and so on, but you're able to a little bit have that, that interaction across kind of the full funnel of marketing. And then, you know, more and more, as I said, in fast moving consumer group, that journey from uh, awareness to conversion is getting faster, faster and faster. And then uh, on Doyen, so you might be able to, an influencer collaboration on Doyen, get the person really interested, then they'll search that project, that product, what other influencers have said. Then they'll go to the live streaming feed, search if any if there's any live streaming going on about that product from an uh, from a live streamer, then say like real-time information and so on, ask a couple of questions, and then get to the store and do that transaction all within kind of a couple of swipes and buttons and so on. And you can kind of understand that. Uh, that tracking that data as a marketer and able to, you know, uh, if you see some videos is working well, you can add a little bit more budget so a different audience sees it and you can test and learn. If you see a live streaming is working well organically, you can push that live streaming and uh, up the feeds of, of a different audience in different location and so on. If you see that leads to a keyword search on your store on Doyen, then you can kind of bid on that keyword as well. So it, it has that full funnel kind of uh, marketing activity that does require a lot of test and learn, but uh, you know at least you're able to, to, to get response on what's working, what's not working. Marketing has turned into almost Wall Street at this point. I mean, you are mm-hmm. sitting there, you have marketers in front of, in front of loads of data watching 
things move, seeing things happen, pushing more money towards these keywords, pulling them off of this, these times, these demographics, these things. I mean, it's, it's, you're constantly measuring this ads working. Let's run that. Let's increase the amount of times that shows up, add that to the rotation. This one's not been performing that well. Let's just pull it from the rotation. You're constantly moving around and chasing all that. And because there's so many other people doing it and tugging on the other side of the rope, it's a never ending game, which for a lot of people can be a lot of fun too. It is interesting and none of it is nefarious at all. It's just fun. Let's talk a little bit about the differences between live streaming on Tmall and live streaming on Douyin. I think there's a bunch there to mention. Yeah, and I, and I think that connects a little bit to uh, the question before, right? Mm-hmm. When you arrive on Tmall, you have an intent to shop. So live streaming historically has been one, a little bit more commercial, a little like very focused on the product and what I'm trying to sell to. Two, uh, Tmall has... And I think that's something that they backtrack, but has historically given a lot of the traffic to the top three, four, five live streamers and basically created that concentrated top economy with the leads yet to you with the VI and so on, which is kind of open. That's why it's opened up the door for Doyen to open up a live streamer economy for those mid-sized live streamer and figure out ways for them to be profitable and kind of really based on the quality of the content. So that's that's what really opened the door for Doyen and why right now there's a lot of more mid kind of size live streamers and so on really being successful. And in terms of like type of content, uh, it's, you know, because there's a little bit more intersection between entertainment and shopping, you see these live streaming shows on, on Doyen being a little bit more like, yeah, like, like, like TV shows and so on. So there's a little bit more focused uh, around the character that the person is playing, uh, the, the, the decor, the kind of like setup of the rooms and so on. Uh, a little bit more of a kind of back and forth between I'm, I'm, I'm selling you a product, but I might, you know, uh, talk, a, tell you a story about, you know, my kid or something like that. And, it's a little bit closer connection. Most of the live streamers that are successful as well also do like video feeds on their feeds just to tell kind of like, you know, preheat the live streaming or tell them what's coming and what's happened and so on. So it's that connection between their video feeds and the live streaming is also uh, supporting their whole kind of personality and storytelling aspect. Being personal, uh, personable getting sometimes a little bit personal, letting people in a little bit to the rest of their lives, making them seem more human, right? It's, you can relate to me. I am not somebody that's very, very different than you. I'm actually quite similar to you. Create that relatability. And then you're always creating the short form video stuff for all the, all the disappearing content, which has gained a lot of steam as well. Let me ask you a quick question. I think over here, it's the rise of the micro-influencer. Is that similar in, in Asia or in China? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Uh, on platforms like both Douyin and Little Red Book, I think uh, successful influencers, you know, some can be really big just because of the size of the market and so on, but they're getting more and more niche, more and more specialized, more and more focused on, you know, I know... Just give you an example, again, a category that we were like health supplements. Now I know health supplement. I'm like, I know probiotics very well, or I know like, you know, whitening skin products very, very well and so on. I talk about it like day in and day out. Uh, so, you know, it's less of that one size fits all and so on. Um accessibility, which connects back to what you said, right? I'm I'm closer to you. I'm a little bit more genuine. I I I did the effort and I you know, I did my research in that specific category. Like I sell fitness clothes. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really into fitness and so on. So that, that opens the door for, for more of that micro influencer. Now that being said, there's still a map for a, a road for people to be successful and become kind of large influencer, but we see a little bit less of, you know, the leads yet to Olivia, like one day selling makeup, the other day selling consumer electronics and so on. And people just kind of, following them for whatever they sell. Question though, it just makes me think. So as we know, at least historically in China, where you come from in China matters a lot when you're about to get married or you want to get married to somebody, you will bring that person to your family, sometimes even to a a palm reader and a tea leaves reader and whatnot. If they are from a different place that your parents don't agree is a good fit for your family, you might be told you cannot marry that person because they don't come from 
a place in China that is similar to who we are, what we believe. Would that factor into e-commerce or live streamers for e-commerce? If this live streamer is from Harbin talking about whitening cream for their face, and yet I'm sitting here in Sanya going, am I supposed to believe this person knows <laughs> what I what I deal with on a daily basis? So does that kind of stuff factor in at all? Yeah, yeah, it does. And I, I mean, you know, one of the basics of marketing is, is demographic versus psychographic, right? So geography and where you're based, you know, can have can bring you closer to an audience and more connected in a way, right? It's the same thing. Like I'm I'm in Quebec and I talk with people from Quebec and we have relatable cause, but at the same time, you know, I love talking about traveling and my favorite influencer might be based, you know, on the other side of the world, but they have a travel lifestyle and they like whatever kite surf or diving and so on. And location doesn't really matter. Right. So that's more of that tribe and psychographic into what we like. Uh, so depending on the product, depending on what you're pushing and the story that you're pushing, like geography might be important, but it might not at all be important. So it's, I don't, I don't think there's a one size fit all answer. I'm 1% right. Sounds good. Our 1% category, right? Something like that. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Xiao Hongshu, a Little Red Book, and its role in brand's e-commerce program. Is Little Red Book driving a lot of in-app purchases? Or is it about brand development and influencer marketing instead? Yes, I I think everyone in in China, every platform has seen what happened with Douyin. And they're like, hey, we want a piece of the pie as well, you know? And so Little Red Book has made a push in 2023. It has a store environment. The, the truth is its transaction level is still relatively small. It did have around a 400% growth versus 2022. So it's it's growing, but the, a growth of, of very minimal kind of uh, overall value. Um, but we do see them investing and trying to develop again, they have a lot of influencers and it's, it's a, it's an app we use a lot for, for product discovery and product recommendation and product review, right. In, in industries like cosmetic and skincare, but now even expanding to, you know, fitness and wellness and health supplement and so on. It's rare that we see a transaction happening on Tmall and so on because we do some survey without someone having gone on Little Red Book to see what are people saying about it, right? So in the decision-making journey, it's really important. Therefore, it's important to be there uh, as a brand and work with influencers and, uh, you know, work with, uh, get quality product reviews, whether it's product exchange and so on to make sure that, you know, that funnel is existed, uh, that funnel is, is, is full with, you know, quality information review. If you don't, it might decrease a lot of your conversion rate. That said, are we getting a lot of conversion in app on red? We're running a couple of little red book store and some, you know, brands that have gotten more mature and they have a lot of followers on little red book. They have an active community you know, the lift of adding a red to Tmall and, and Doyen as a third marketplace first helps us understand a little bit more, again, attribution. And, you know, I think it can increase your conversion rates and so on. So it's not a platform necessarily I would like lead with to, in order to generate sales, but as a secondary thir- third platform, it can have. And, you know, as we know, the earlier you are on a platform, maybe you're, you're, you're bullish in your product category, like the lower the custom media might be and the more platform support from an e-commerce per- perspective you're able to get because there's less brands out there. So your account manager is more pushing your brands, is giving you better real estate and so on, rather than on Tmall if you're with like 100 other brands in your category and your account manager is like not necessarily there to support you. For people in the audience wondering why we talk about this topic, e-commerce in China, so, so much, this is why. It's always changing and it is so deep and so vast and there's just always so much to talk about. Um, just a little PSA out there. This is this is why we keep coming back to that. Uh, yes, we do in 2024 plan to broaden our topics a little bit more and get out some of my most beloved 
recordings that I've done was talking about Hollywood and China or rare earth metals and some other different types of things to help people truly understand the breadth and depth of China and Southeast Asia. But why we keep coming back to this is this is our our wheelhouse, both our audiences and ours. And so, and, and there's just so much to talk about all the time. So yeah, there you have it. Recently, WPIC put out a piece on the culture of excessive discounting in China How are you relaying, translating, transcoding that piece and that idea to your clients about whether or not discounting is actually smart? Yeah, I I think it's it's a complicated question. I think it's it's a great question for that uh, that podcast, right? Because to me, running e-commerce in China is very much like a negotiation. Like you enter kind of these Chinese market in. In China, that I'm sure you've been to, and then it's kind of a game of like, a what what deal can I get out of you, right? And Chinese consumers are very much geared towards, I'm looking for a deal, right? I'm I'm I like your product and so on. I want to buy it, but like I I need that feeling of 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 having made a deal at the point of transaction. So that's why it's like coupons offered, membership coupons, and these things. Now, this deal can be done. Discounting is one form factor of giving a deal, right? But there's obviously gift with products, there's experiences, partnership with other brands. Like if you're in the fitness brand, you you can a fitness brand you can have like offer discount or even to classes of yoga and so on. So any you know discount discount is not the only way, and you got to start thinking creatively as well. Um, And when we talk about excessive discounting, to me is like is it is it smart or not to do discounting? It's not an answer that can be questioned, but it's not smart to do discounting if you don't know the why you're doing discounting. If you're just continually doing discounting without any kind of specific reasons, right? Ultimately, a negotiation is all about you know getting something in return of something you're offering, right? So if you're offering a discounting and you're not really clear on what you're getting in return then it probably doesn't make sense, right? So let me give you an example is if you're a new brand and most of our audience, you know, maybe new brands are a brand that doesn't have like a really strong brand recognition in China and you can add value through, through being a status brand or being a community and so on, but you have an excellent product. How are you going to convince a customer that you have an excellent product without getting some product into the consumer hand, consumer's hand, right? So for that, the early days, new market launch discounting might be a way to accelerate your, 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 your customer acquisition and get that word of mouth going. If you're confident in your product, you know that you're going to get good reviews and people are going to talk about your product and so on. Then it's a smart way to do discounting, especially if you're a... Uh, item that you can have a high repurchase rate, right? The, the philosophy around discounting for beauty and skincare that people will repurchase every two months, you know, the, the cost of giving a discount away in order to get a person in your ecosystem or giving a commission to an influencer is different from giving a, a discounting to a consumer you know you won't see again for five years because your your item is, you know, a consumer electronics or music item and so on that that you keep for five years. Same thing, you know, as I was relating back to the first item, you know, we're working with a, a fitness equipment brand. And, and sometimes, you know, when it comes to fitness, that might last two, three years, but what you need to get is your brand out there. So then that GWP strategy might make more sense where you want to get, you know, whether it's a hat or t-shirts and so on, people actually going out to the gym and representing your brand. So you might want to you know, give more value to that GWP, which is going to give advertising value to your brand and so on. So I think that's conversations that you got to have, you know, understand what you're getting in return and what's the what's the end line, right? How many cons- customers I'm trying to acquire to discounting? What's going to happen with these customers after? And again, you were talking about, about marketers being on, on, on like Wall Street and so on. You got to be like looking at, you know, Price elasticity. If I'm doing running that discount, how much more I'm getting in conversion and so on, and make these decisions. And that's something that we, you know, do a lot at WPAC, test and learn and so on. So I think there's uh, there's a lot of value in that. And ultimately, as a brand, it's like discounting is is an area of investment that you can have. Right? You can decide to invest in product innovation, in brand, and in community. 
in relationship by giving that money to influencer or in discounting, right? So looking at these four buckets and saying, what's my cash flow situation? What's my market growth targets and so on? And, and saying, okay, I'm going to move a little bit from discounting to there or a little bit from there to discounting are conversations that must be had. I would say in my experience, nine times out of 10, I have financially attributed discounting to the cost of customer acquisition. Once in a while, it's, hey, we need to unload a lot of excessive inventory or, you know, some some other type of reason. But I would say nine times out of 10, it really is a, a cost of customer acquisition, either for like a new product line or you've heavily discounted the premium end of a product line, knowing that that will be a temporary discount. People are going to fall in love with the product. Then the price might go up and they will fall back into buying your mid-grade option. And then, which is almost where you want them to be because your profit margins are significantly better on that mid-grade than they would be on the high end. So you're trying to push a market to your product and then bringing them in at the top and then pushing them down to there, hoping that they'll swim down to the middle, stuff like that. I want to move on. What about PDD, Pingdodua? What is the perspective of Pingdodua to a brand? Obviously, it has the reputation for being the cheap goods marketplace. What do you tell them? Should brands go into Pingdodua? I know that this is a yes, but, and so I'm leading you into that, but uh, what are your thoughts there? Well, yeah, the, the reality is it's still a, like for most consumers, it's still a place where, you know, I'm looking for a discount and just the way the UX of the app is done, right? You can't, you don't really have to search for a brand and product. You're just calling through and uh, looking at good discounts and, you know, group buying, resharing with WeChat and so on. So, you know, that's the intent that a lot of people go in there. That said, there's a lot of traffic, especially in third and fourth tier city. So wherever there's traffic and, and consumers, you know, there's a play for a brand to be done. Uh, I, they've been, again, in a push to try to upscale. You know, they've been trying to collaborate with more brands and so on. There's a lot of products from high-end brands that are selling on there, like, like Apple or, or Casio or Timex Watch and like even some Gucci and luxury uh, items there. But as a brand, what can you do? I mean, Per, like for us, a lot of the moves that we do on Ping Duo Duo is for end of seasons item, liquidation items, or like project pro, uh, products that are uh, running out of stock, right? So this way, by running kind of discounts on a third platform, we're not affecting the algorithm of team all, like the price history and so on, or of the OEM. Um, and and I think you know that's typically the play and recommendations will do. We'll keep following, you know, how how the the play goes into, you know, being be, uh, becoming more of a branded platform. But as we speak right now, it's not the obvious kind of place where we would open a flagship for a brand. Let's do a little bit of a quick fire round to kind of wrap up this show. Any other major retail or marketing trends in China you'd like to quickly highlight? Some of the conversations I've had recently, there's one platform that's less talked about, uh, Poison the Wu. I think they've had like a good 2023 year. Uh, you know about the concept of Daigo. I know you've talked about it in the show as well. So uh, Poison has kind of officialized in a way uh, a lot of the Daigo transactions. And it's a platform where a lot of the bigger brands are being sold by consumers that are buying abroad and so on on that platform. But there is their strength is there's a really, really strong authentication and traceability factor. So everything you buy on there is real. And basically, as you go on the platform, you search, it's going to be, you know, the source of the item. Is it coming from the U.S. or is it in China? And then the pricing. So it's very consumer friendly and they know they're getting the real stuff at the best possible price. Now, the, you know, consumers are really active on there to search for brands and so on, especially in the world of fashion, like men exclusive items. So brands have started to launch exclusive editions on that platform to be able to engage it. So that's that's a play that we're looking to get more into uh, as one platform and really following closely. It's kind of a similar pattern as, as a little red book as I was talking about. Uh, second, I mean, you can't really talk about 2024. Uh, we all talk about AI, right? We do see AI impacting in a couple of areas and we're, we're working a little bit on, on that field, right? One, the search, 
uh, all the search economy, like Tmos tested some new search where you don't, you don't search by keywords anymore. You're like, put sentence a little bit like you interact with ChatGPT. Like I'm looking for, you know, a product like this or something a little bit more like that. And then they recommend these products. So that search personalization journey uh, is a lot different. And from a brand perspective, you can kind of understand what are the like more detailed search queries and be able to uh, update your, your keywords and so on. Uh, from a content localization, I mean, you know, AI is not quite there in creating like videos and great photos and so on that are natural. And ultimately, like it's a little bit sometimes that contradiction between authenticity and AI. But there's ways and ways we can kind of create new backgrounds and so on for product shots that we've been doing for like Japan, Korea and so on to to save a little bit on those costs. So I think that's a trend that uh, is rising pretty fast. You know, China has been uh, investing the most in AI and uh, have had the most kind of patent in that field. So that's, that's exciting for, for also e-commerce and advertising. So I think these are really two kind of key, key area, key trends that we're uh, keeping close eye on. We're going to have to dedicate an entire show to AI and what it's doing in China. It's, it has been fascinating. I know on my end, we've been playing around with ChatGPT4 um, and it's been pretty amazing. I know Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, was on the Bill Gates podcast uh, recently. And when Bill Gates is seemingly astonished by a technology, you know that uh, that it must be pretty spectacular. So um, I'm both scared and excited at the same time. I got to be honest. Uh, but anyway, uh, Charles Savoy, VP Marketing and Head of Creative Labs at WPIC Marketing Technologies. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks a lot, Doug. See you soon. Okay. For everybody listening audio only, head over to our YouTube, catch uh, some shorts and some other content and information over there. It's a valuable place to go. And for those of you watching us on video, if you want to get us audio only, feel free to find us anywhere that you enjoy your podcast from, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it. From all of us at The Negotiation and everybody behind the scenes, and thank you very much to Charles as well. That's it for now, and we'll see you next time. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.